Go ahead and take your Bible and head to Psalm 122 this morning. Psalm 122 is where we're going to be. This is our third week in our consideration of the 15 Psalms of Ascent. Um, before we get started this morning, I just want to make mention of one thing. Tomorrow night, members, if you're a member of Buffalo City Church, tomorrow night in the Buffalo City Church community room at 6.30, we're going to have a family meeting. We're going to get together, we're going to gather, we're going to talk about a handful of things. Members, this is vitally important. This is incredibly important for the life of our church. Um, we, as a, a body of Christ, uh, have unique opportunities in our community and even amongst ourselves to, to bear witness to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Who is a tomato plant? That's it? Really? Okay. Yeah. All right. It's not a trick question. It's not a trick. Okay. Um, the local church is a lot like a tomato plant. And I'm going to say this because uh, because just in the light of what we're going to do tomorrow night as, as members and as those who are committed uh, to Buffalo City Church, um, tomato plants grow and they bear fruit, right? When they start to get pretty big, you have to drop something around them. Otherwise, they tip over um, and the fruit hits the ground and it rots out. Um, and that we, we don't want to allow what we're doing here to tip over. We put a cage on a tomato plant because there's an organic thing involved and it's growing and it's bearing fruit and it's, it's bringing about something that's happening. But a structure has to foster that growth. Otherwise, like I said, it tips over and it, and it, uh, and it rots out on the ground. So very similarly, the local church, us, that's us, Buffalo City Church, if you've committed here as your church home, if you've become a member here at Buffalo City Church, very similarly, we're like a tomato plant. I want to just point out that God has blessed us in some incredible ways as a church, if you've been around with us for a while, in incredible ways as a church in under three years. God has done some incredible things in our midst. Um, we have 35 to 40 precious souls back there to care for. And we have men and women growing in God's Word. We have all of these things happening, Christ-like service and care for one another, happening pretty regularly. And all these things are wonderful. And there's more things that are happening. But we need to make sure that we dedicate time to thinking about supporting that fruit and that growth. We need to take time to think about what are the things that are upholding this, and how is this, in essence, sustainable for us. Um, we as a church must be thinking in those directions. So I'm making an appeal to you this morning as members, if you're a member of Buffalo City Church, to make a way to get there tomorrow night. Now I know that several of you have small children, and that's problematic because 6.30 is bedtime isn't coming. We're going to keep it to an hour. That's okay. Send one family to represent, or one person to represent your family. That's okay. Uh, just relay the information back to a family. We just have a couple of agenda items, and again, we want to support the structure. What's happening? What are the organic growth that's happening amongst us, and how can we best support that? Just a couple of things that we're going to talk about, leadership development and the church finances. And now those things don't sound very cool. They don't sound awesome. It's not like you get to, you get to do something incredible, but we have to have people, and we, all of us in this room, have to be dedicated to both sides of the, the issue. We can't just be dedicated to one side and not the other. Um, church has seen that healthy spiritual growth impact their communities and care not only about the organic growth, but also about the structure that fosters that, that growth. So we all have a tendency, right? I'm sure that some of you have been part of churches where you go into a business meeting and it's a battle for three hours. 
And that's annoying, and no one likes that, so we're going to keep it to an hour. We're not going to battle. We're just going to, we're going to talk. We're going to have a conversation, an open conversation about those structural things that need to happen. Um, and so, again, I'm appealing to you, members, for sure, and if you're not a member but would like to attend, I would encourage you to do so also so that you can kind of see what's going on under the surface here. What we see here on Sunday morning is a scratch of the surface, um, but uh, what we want to do is, is continue to develop and grow and understand. We all have a tendency, some of us only ask questions or are engaged when we're talking about money, and some of us are only engaged and, and excited when we're talking about the organics or the things, the life on life, the reality of, of doing church together. Um, we have to be committed to both. And so some of us in this room, just because of the way that we're wired, have to discipline ourselves to take a step out of uh, our only thinking about or asking questions about the money or only engaging relationally into some of the more either structured side of things or some of the more important uh, relational things that are happening around us. So that's why we're having family meetings. Members, again, please be there. Um, if you are a member and would like to attend, great. Uh, Buffalo City Church needs to be committed to both structure and the organic growth. The reality is, as we close in on year three, um, we're embedded in the church planning world, and as we close in on year three, things start to get solid. They start to solidify around us, and the things that we're doing become more rigid. Um, we want to make sure that we maintain flexibility while also promoting uh, the growth that's happened and the work that God has done so prevalently in our midst. So tomorrow is a really important opportunity for us to do that. I want to say that as an aside this morning because I've, some of you need to engage. Some of you need to engage in the more structural side of things as well as the more relational side of things as well. So tomorrow night, August 6th, 6.30, Buffalo City Church Community Room, an hour long. Uh, we'll be talking about leadership development and the church finances. Very good. That's aside now. Now we're in Psalm 122. Let's go there. Let me read this for us. This is Psalm 122. Remember we're talking about the Psalms of Ascent, and we're talking about what it means to go up to worship God. What does it look like as people who are created in the image of God to worship God? Now, over the course of the last couple of weeks, we've talked about a couple of things as it pertains to the Psalms of Ascent. And that these things would be moving up into or ascending into a type of what we call life as worship. When we think about worship, oftentimes in our culture, we think about a time or a place, Sunday morning in this context, when we think about music primarily, that's just where our minds go. We think about musical worship. But the Bible is clear that all of our life is worship. And the way that that kind of fleshes itself out is through the way in which we order or orient our lives. What are we ordered around as a people and what are we oriented towards as, as a people? So we ask the question, what is my life ordered around? Is it making money? Is it getting more things? Is it comfort or is it family or is it God himself? And all of those things I named are good gifts from God. But when we look to those things primarily to be our source of satisfaction, we wind up falling very short of worshiping God. We often find that our lives ordered around these things. They are. They're actually worshiping those things. And that's idolatry. So that's what, that's what these psalms are geared toward, moving us out of worshiping the things that are low-lying, low-level things, and up to elevating our eyes to a place where God is the sole focus of our affections, and it is to Him that we look for our satisfaction. So uh, 
Turn to Psalm 122. Let's, let's look together at this psalm. Let me read it for us. A song of ascents of David. I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of our Lord, our God, I will seek your good. This is the first psalm of ascent that is explicitly uh, 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 ascribed or written by King David. And so we see a shift, right? We see a shift. If you've been with us the last couple weeks in Psalm 120, we saw a man who was in a desirable, an undesirable place, in a place of distress, and was unable to, uh, to express or be around people who valued the same things that he valued. When he says, uh, I am for peace, but these ones are for war, he sees that peace only comes through knowledge and uh, a relationship with his God, and in those moments that he feels distressed because the people around him don't value those, those things. So that's a person who is in an undesirable place. And then last week we thought about Psalm 121, the idea that our help comes from the Lord. There is, no, there is no hill or created thing to which we can look to obtain the help that we need in this life. And this points us to Jesus. Because in one way or another, we are sinful creatures. In order, to, uh, in order to be delivered from that sin, we have to look beyond the hills or the created things to the one who created all things in order that we might be or have salvation. And so those two psalms lead into Psalm 122. You know how when you were in my generation, for my generation, you know you kid you bought a CD and like the first two tracks were kind of like throwaway tracks, but then the third track was the really good song that you wanted to listen to. Usually it like came after a couple of songs. That's the way that this is. I, I feel like, not that those first two are throwaways, but it's building to something. It's building to this understanding that, that the psalmist David now is moving towards a, a place, not only, a, not only a, a place where he is in an, an undesirable place and a place where he can't fully worship God, to a place where now he can fully worship God. And so part of this psalm is, a, is sort of a, um, what do I want to say, it's a defense it's a defense for why we gather together to worship on Sunday. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why do we worship together on Sunday morning? Why Sunday morning? Why does that happen? If all of life is worship, why bother gathering together at all? Why do we get together? I can worship and choose to be elsewhere. I can worship by sleeping in. I can worship by listening to a sermon online or watching Facebook Live Church. That's what we think. I can worship somewhere else or by doing something else. But David doesn't see it that way, and that's what this song clues us into. This is the gathering of God's people, and we shouldn't see it that way either. And we've said this a lot of times before, so we'll say it one more time, and probably many more times in the future. There are a lot of really good things that we can be doing in this life. There are. There are a lot of really good things we can do. You ask the question, what's best? 
What is the best thing that we can be doing? And David is going to argue here in this psalm that it is gathering together to worship with the people of God. That's what he's going to argue. That's what this psalm is about. David says it's to gather together to worship God as his people. We're doing a really churchy statement right now. Sorry. Do I need to apologize for that? We're in church. Okay. As uh, <laughs> gathering together to worship as God's people, forgive the church, and this is a statement again, but is a liturgy or an anchor in the liturgy of life. I'm using the word liturgy, and what I mean by that is order. What do we, when we think about liturgy, right? What does it mean? What is a liturgy of life? Or what is liturgy in general? And the church, much to her detriment, I think, has dropped out some of these terms because they're just not cool. They're just not... I was going to say this, but I'm going to say it. Like, my Facebook ad algorithm is, like, laden with all of these things, these advice articles for pastors. Like, number one way to grow your church, and the number one at the top of the list is typically, don't act like a church. That's silly. That's ridiculous. We're not going to do that. We're going to talk about church things in here. Okay. Put that aside. I sound like an, old, an old, older, seasoned person. I don't know if you were old. Okay. All right. <laughs> Darn kids. <laughs> so, liturgy is something that we're going to talk about because it's rooted in biblical understanding of who God is and then what he asks us, or requires, not asks, but requires us to do as his people. Who we are intended to be as God's people. So when we think about liturgy, we think about order, we have this gather order, and we think about, okay, what is a liturgy of life? And if you're not familiar with church, if you've never been part of a church for, a, for a, or maybe just been out of the loop for a long time, it's usually described, used to describe the way in which we order the things that we do in the Sunday morning context. How we're worshiping. What is the things that we do on Sunday morning? And so some of you think, maybe, and I, I would probably assume that some of you think, boy, I really like the way that we're not at all liturgical in the way that we approach Because you come from a high liturgical setting and in, a different, in a different denomination or something like that. But the reality is we are liturgical. It's just very simple. We have three things that we do on a Sunday morning every week that we're committed to because the Bible says we should be. One, it's musical worship. Two, it's reading the word. Three, it's preaching the word. Those three things we're committed to. Everything else can go to the side. Those three things are of vital importance to what we do. So we say, uh, we look at Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another, and always them singing psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And then in 1 Timothy 4.13, devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. And then in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. So we take those to be commands that are to be carried out in this context. When we gather together to worship as God's people, we worship musically, we, we read the Bible, and we listen to the word preached. We, we say that we preach the word in an ex, another churchy word, sorry, expository manner, which just means we expose what the word of God is, is saying. 
We can also use the word liturgy then to describe our lives because we have this set order for doing things. Let's, let's translate that and then to our day to day. We have this set order for doing things. You all probably keep a calendar of some sort, right? And you have recurring events that come up on that calendar. Mostly those things are centered around work and school, right? If you're a parent of children, you're taking your kids to school, you're going to work, you're picking up your kids, you're bringing whatever. Those are the two things that typically we would call anchors in our week. Those things happen without fail unless someone gets sick or something like that. Those two things are, are, are happening every single week uh, without fail. And I know we're in the summer, but you get the picture. And this is the order and shape of our life, and the order and the shape of our life takes built around these anchor events in our week, or maybe it's a monthly activity, or maybe it's a yearly activity, something like that. These are non-negotiables, things that happen all of the time for us, and so our life has to be built around those, those things. Psalm 122 shows us David's primary anchor and what he builds his life around. Gathering together to worship with the people of God. That is David's primary anchor. He drives down congregational worship. Like we're doing right now is intended to cause us to see God's work on our behalf right before our eyes. To prepare us to go out and to do battle in a world that simply doesn't value the things that we value. And so what we do is see that this psalm leads us to one particular thing. And I just want to point out one thing this morning. We're going to use that word liturgy again at the end of this statement. Gathering together as God's people Sunday morning, doing church, going to meeting, whatever you want to call it. Nobody calls it that. That's like a southern thing. But going to church, meeting together, I prefer to say gathering together as God's people, gathering together as God's people to worship God provides us a vital anchor in the liturgy of life, in the way that our lives are ordered and what we order our lives around, gathering together as the people of God fixes us and puts us in a point of, of where we should be ordering our lives um, according to what God has commanded us. Okay, so we ask ourselves the question, how is my life ordered like, what are the things that you do? And then, what informs the ordering? Or why do you order it in that way? And, again, do we ever ask this question? Do we ever, do we ever like, process why this is important? Do we ever think about, why do I order the life in the way, my life in the way that I order it? So I would challenge you, if you don't think about that regularly, to begin thinking about that. To begin asking the question, why is my life ordered in the way that it is? Have you ever heard the, you've heard the cliche, he marches to the beat of his own drummer, right? Or beat of his own drum or something like that. That's just a really nice way of saying, that kind of some really weird stuff, right? <laughs> Typically, that's the way that it goes. Like, that guy's, he's a, he does some weird stuff. Um, he's a nice person, but he's got some interesting habits. Um, each of us, really, honestly, is beating to some drum. Or not beating, we're walking to the beat of some drum. What makes that beat? What is that rhythm? Is it culture? Is, what we, is it what we think will make us happy? 
something else? Look at verses 3 and 4. Jerusalem, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as it was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. The tribes are the twelve tribes of Israel, right? Dwell all of, of Jacob's twelve sons, all given land in the conquest, which is the book of Joshua, minus the Levites, who they were the priests, and the surrounding region is where those tribes would come from. And so we see a diverse group of people with a distant heritage, but unique family and cultural practices ascending to Jerusalem with one goal. What's their one goal? It's to worship God. In the second half of verse 4, it says, Decreed to Israel, right? Decreed to Israel, all of the twelve tribes to come up to Jerusalem and give thanks to the Lord. As it was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Now, as Christians, we don't have a pilgrimage to do. But we do have a liturgy of life. And what our anchors are in that liturgy. For Christians, it's congregational worship on Sunday morning. We don't have a three-year or three-time-a-year festival for uh, to do this, but a once-a-week anchor to worship a risen Savior. Here's the thing: we ask, why Sunday morning? Why is it important? Why is it vital for the believer? We gather on Sundays because it's the day of the week that Jesus came back from the dead and defeated death. We do it because every Sunday when we walk into the garden and behold, we look, we see an empty tomb. And we're reminded of what that means for us. It wasn't just an early church thing. It wasn't just a, hey, you want to get together on Sunday mornings and think about this? Yeah, okay, Tuesday's good for me too, now let's do Sunday. That's not how the discussion went. It was, what day of the week did Jesus come back from the dead? When did the women walk into the garden and behold an empty tomb? It was Sunday. It was the first day of the week. That's why we meet together. That's why we gather together as the people of God. It's not because it falls on a weekend. It's not because it doesn't. These, these things are, this is well-intentioned time, friends. This is well-intentioned time. This is designed to remind us about the truth that the tomb is empty, that did not hold Jesus, and it will not hold you either. We hear to behold an empty tomb. And like Christ, we will live for eternity in perfect joy in the presence of our Creator. And so the call is simple, and this psalm outlines it for us. The psalm reminds us. David says the best way to be reminded of what God has done for us is to gather together as God's people to worship God. That was decreed for us to give thanks to the name of the Lord. What is it that we have to be thankful for? Deliverance from sin and death. Complete redemption through the cancellation of debt of sin that we owe. Reconciliation to God. Adoption as sons or daughters, a change in status from spiritual orphans, the fulfillment of the promise of God given to us in Christ Jesus. This is what we have to be thankful for. 
This is what we gather together to thank God for. I'm a firm believer that the worst reason to do anything is because we've always done it that way. It's typically a pretty bad reason. We don't gather together and worship once on Sundays because that's what we've always done. We worship once a week on Sundays because we realize that we need to be reminded of the empty tomb. Now, natural objection to that is, I don't need to gather together with the people of God to be reminded of those things. I don't need that to happen in my daily life or in my weekly life to make that, to be reminded of that. I don't need to make Sunday congregational worship an anchor in my liturgy of life. The psalm addresses it. We don't even have to go outside the text. (laughs) Look at Look at this. Jerusalem, built as a city. Verse 3 again. Built as a city that is bound firmly together to which the tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord is was decreed for Israel to give thanks in the name of the Lord. Built as a city firmly together. Built as a city firmly together. That's Jerusalem. The architecture of the city gives us a clue. The NASB says, Jerusalem that is built as a city that is compact together. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, Jerusalem built as a city should be solidly joined together. I love what Eugene Peterson says about this. He says, the city itself was kind of an architectural metaphor for what worship is. All the pieces of the masonry fit compactly. All the building, all the building stones fit harmoniously. There were no loose stones, no leftover pieces, no awkward gaps in the walls or towers. It was well-built, compactly built, skillfully built at unity with itself. So carry that understanding then into into the New Testament. We don't gather together in a city. We don't gather together in a temple. We gather together as the people of God. Remember 1 Peter 2, 5. That we are ourselves, you yourselves, Peter says, like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. Friends, Buffalo City Church, the local church, we are being built up into a spiritual house. The gathering together of God's people fosters and brings about this architectural marvel. God is a master builder. He's an architect, and he doesn't make poor construction decisions. They are unified. The the materials are compact. They are wasted. His measurements are precise. Part of our identity in Christ is as a living stone that is being built along with others around you into a spiritual house at unity with itself. And because of God's brilliant architectural skill, because of his handiwork, he says, don't forsake the meeting together as is the habit of some. But we must be reminded of God's incredible work. And by committing to be together week in and week out, God is building us into a beautiful structure, a structure that is at unity with itself. A structure that is bound uh, firmly together. Should we ask the question of David and the Psalms, so what? So if if this is all true, If this is all true, then so what? David doesn't leave that out either. He he unpacks that for us in verses 6 through 9. 
Look at these. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. An exclamation right here. He says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And remember the word peace here carries a really wide range of meaning. Probably a lot like harmony and wholeness and completeness and prosperity and welfare. All of these different things. Just to name a few. So he's saying, pray for these things for the people of God. And do so within the context of the worship that is taking place in Jerusalem. Pray for the peace. Pray for the harmony. Pray for the wholeness. Pray for the well-being. Pray for the welfare of the people of God. And foster that in the context of corporate worship. The second half of the verse 7 is what the prayer is. May they be secure who love you. May, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, no, 6, I'm sorry, not 7. May they be secure who love you. Notice what the object of love is in the second half of verse 6. The security of those who love Jerusalem. Why? Because those who love to gather as the people of God, love God. Those who love to gather together with the people of God, love God. If you love God, then you love to gather together with those people whom God has redeemed, who He's delivered, who He's made whole. And it's reiterated in verse 8. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, Peace! Be within you. And this is vital because David isn't self-consumed. He says, for my brothers and companions' sake. Gathering together for David wasn't about him. It was about his brothers and it was about his companions. This is a far cry from the way that we think about church. This is a far cry from our consumeristic mentality of going and getting something. For my brothers and companions' sake. Again, this is vital. The gathering of God's people isn't for him. The gathering of God's people isn't for you. Going church to church isn't about you. It's not about you. David sees it. When the people of God gathers, he's concerned about his brothers and companions. He wants their security and their peace. They're his highest priority. He wants peace to be in Jerusalem so that the people can continue to gather to worship. He wants his brothers and companions to be able to gather to worship. And if there is no peace in Jerusalem, gathering cannot happen. David isn't concerned about the style of music because it's just not his taste. David isn't concerned about the vibe of the gathering. David isn't concerned about the likability of the people on his right and his left. David is concerned with his brothers and companions. Sunday morning isn't a Jesus and me thing. Sunday morning is an all of us thing. We should all gather together for the sake of our brothers and sisters, pray for peace in our midst. Sunday morning isn't just about you and God. We gather for the sake of others. Our primary concern shouldn't be what we're going to get 
but serving others by allowing them to remember what? The empty tomb. Many of you serve in many ways on Sunday morning with musicality or with hospitality. You're teaching kids, holding babies, simply wrangling kids out there. These aren't just roles to fill. These are opportunities for you to say very clearly with your actions, peace be within you. And to the gathered people of God, that's us right now, what David says at the end of verse 9. I will seek your good. Gathered people of God, us all together, seek the good of each other. When we get ready to come to church on a Sunday morning, where's our mind at? What are we thinking about? Churches oftentimes do promotional videos and they ask, what do you like about this church? And oftentimes you'll see something or hear something along the lines of, I feel so welcome here. Or, I feel like God is at work here. I feel like I get fed with the word here. And none of these are bad. These are all good things. But rarely do you hear, this church provides the opportunity to pray for the peace of my brothers and companions and their opportunity to worship God through observing an empty tomb on a Sunday morning. That would be really wordy and that would probably be cut from a promotional video anyways. But by default again, friends, we ask the question, what can I get? And oftentimes those promotional videos are intended to set you apart from another church. Right? Like, oh, what's this? This looks great. And the answer this church provides me with an opportunity to seek the good of God's people. It doesn't set the church apart in a promo. Because let's get real. Seeking the good of, a, of another person in the context of corporate worship can happen if the people around you are gospel-saturated, living life, excited about the gospel, sharing it with their friends and their neighbors, or just a bunch of really big jerks. Both of those things can happen. Right? We can seek the good of people regardless of, of their, their actions. And so Buffalo City Church, when we gather to come here on a Sunday, is that where our mind is? We ask ourselves, are we ready to seek the good of God's people for the sake of our brothers and sisters and companions? This requires some discipline. It legitimately requires, not some, but it requires a significant, if not a huge amount of discipline. Taking the focus off yourself always does. But the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us as our helper. And so as we wrap up our time thinking about this psalm, in particular as we think about the first couple of verses when David says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. We need to Consider a couple of important things. First, go back to that word, that liturgy word again. Is the gathering of God's people an anchor in your liturgy of life? Is the gathering of God's people an anchor in your liturgy of life? And the question isn't much different than what is my life ordered around? What are the rhythms? What, what beat am I marching to? How is my life ordered, and what is it ordered around? Our kids' sports schedules, our work, our leisure activities, the gathering of God's people. The psalm assures 
uh, assumes that God's people, their primary anchor is dropped around gathering together with the people of God to worship God. And because of this, we're commanded to praise Him and to thank Him and His decree for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. We say thank you for the gift of salvation through the sacrifice of your Son. Thank you that we are called now sons and daughters of God. Even when we were still enemies, God sent His Son to die for us. Thank you that we have been now given the ability to live in a way that you intended us to live. The second thing to consider is this. Is the good of God's people a primary concern when gathering together on a Sunday to worship? I get getting out of the house is not easy. Right? Getting out of the house sometimes is not easy, especially when you have young children, time crunches, scattered brains, etc. And so I'm going to ask you, next week as you prepare to come, think about, think about how can I seek the good of God's people this morning? And it may only be a short amount of time that you can actually dedicate to thinking that, but it may mean getting up five minutes earlier, it may be going to bed five minutes earlier, or an hour earlier, or three hours earlier. <laughs> but ask yourself this, how can I seek the good of God's people? I was prepared to engage in this context. So next week, ask yourself, how can I seek the good of God's people this morning? And that just means prepared to step up and to serve some, some people by watching kids, by wrangling kids, if someone gets sick or simply needs to sit in here. And again, praise God for all of the kids that we have. Praise God for 35 to 40 kids that we get to influence the truth of the gospel regularly. And at the same time, what a challenge. What a challenge for our congregation. What a responsibility. What a weight. Seek the good of God's, good of God's people with all the precious lives we've been given. Seek the good of God's people by caring for your kids and nurturing them and growing and building them up in the home. So that they come here. Instruct your children in the gospel and love offering correction. Parents, what you do at home goes wherever you go. Love and seek the good of God's people through infusing the gospel into your home. How can I seek the good of God's people this morning? Maybe it's just really just killing the idea. I hope you get something this morning. What can I get? Or maybe it's even coming into this space with preconceived notions or frustrations about a person or, a, or an idea or a concept. And maybe it's extending a word of encouragement or listening to someone who is struggling. If we begin to imagine the dynamic in this place, if that was our, our intent, if we all ask the question, how can I seek the good of God's people this morning? We're really good at making ourselves the, the victim. Nobody cares about me. I'm not wanted. If that's your mentality, you're not seeking peace among God's gathered people because you've already set yourself at odds with others. Maybe that's where you need to go. They should be doing this or that for me as a quarrelsome, combative mindset is prepared to tear others down and not seek the good of others when you enter into this place. 
So next week, Saturday night, how can I seek the good of God's people? That implies being present, friends. You can't seek the good of God's gathered people if you fail to gather with them. Drop the anchor of the liturgy of life around the corporate worship gathering about beholding an empty tomb with regularity. Finally, I think I would point out what makes this all possible is simply as we've woven in throughout our time this morning is the gospel itself. It is the gospel that frees us to seek the good of others and count their needs more highly than our own. Apart from the truth that we've been redeemed and delivered from our, our sin, apart from that truth, we are unable to seek the good of our brothers and our companions. It is that very truth that frees us to seek the good of our brothers and our companions. Jesus set aside his heavenly home and came to earth to die for his enemies. Our sin that separated us from God, he came to deal with it through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and now ascension where he rules and reigns at the Father's right hand. And our sins can now be forgiven because of the blood that he spilled. And we can live as new creatures through the power of the Spirit. We can now live in the way that God intended for us to live, with him and with others in mind. The place that we go is to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. It paints the picture for us. Paul says, Do nothing, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but what he emptied himself to taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This mind, friends, is ours in Christ Jesus. This mind... Paul says it. Have this mind among yourselves. This mind is yours in Christ Jesus. Counting others more significant than yourself. Seeking the good of our brothers and companions wherever possible. And it is possible because of Jesus Christ. To be free from pride and from selfish ambition and conceit. What a, what a joy it is to live with others in mind, not exclusively thinking about ourselves, but thinking about the good of our brothers and our sisters in Christ. Not making demands on others, not expecting people to be things that they cannot be for us, that only God himself can be for us. Because all that we need, we have in Christ. This frees us to exist for others. I love this psalm. It's so refreshing to think about the purpose why we gather together as God's people to worship God. And the primary way that we can worship God is through, is through beholding an empty tomb together, gathering together as his people. So friends, let's drop the anchor here. Let's drop the anchor here. Let's make this part of our ordering of life, our liturgy of life. Let's do this together. Let's make a commitment. Let's seek the good of our brothers and our companions by being committed to gathering together to worship as God's people. Let me pray.